Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something to note. All myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Shintoist traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Amaterasu, the goddess of the sun, faced off against her brother Susano, god of the storms. Susano had challenged her to a contest of godhood, but each claimed to have beaten the other. They stood head to head, Amaterasu's heavenly light emanated from every corner of her weaving hall with blinding intensity. Susano's wind and storms rumbled in response. If you were a mortal and looked up at the sky that day, you would see storm clouds fighting the very sun itself. The two siblings were ready to prove themselves to each other once and for all. And then, Susano flashed a smile. Fine. I cede defeat and offer my magnanimous, heartful love to you, Amaterasu. I won't touch anything you created ever again. And just like that, the fight was over. Susano had left. Amaterasu brought her sunbeams back under control, and she and her attendants settled back to her weaving, Amaterasu basking in her victory. They worked in contented silence, but then, far in the distance, there was a thunderous racket, and the horrible noise was getting closer. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're continuing the story of Amaterasu, the Japanese sun goddess, who was radiant and powerful, but also vain. We'll explore her ultimate confrontation with her brother, Susano, the tempestuous god of storms, the apocalyptic fallout from their battle, and Amaterasu's ultimate return to her place in heaven. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. The storm approached. Amaterasu, full of dread and ready for a fight, peeked outside the door of her weaving hall. Susano stood outside laughing, relentlessly hurling lightning and storms at the earth in a never-ending stream. Acres of rice paddies were destroyed, 
The countryside smoked with lightning strikes. All of Japan trembled at his wrath. You sad excuse for a deity! You said you wouldn't touch my creations ever again! I'm not touching anything. The lightning and the rain are. I thought you'd be happy, sister. I'm following your commands. Amaterasu turned her back on her brother. She was so exhausted at his tantrums. She wouldn't rise to his bait. Not today. But then she heard the cries of the mortals below, suffering as Susano's storms rained down upon them. Fine, then! Use all your strength, and I will use all of my skill. Shake the very earth. Watch how much good it does you. Amaterasu stomped back inside, barring the doors of her weaving hall. She ordered her attendants to work, and they bent over their looms. Amaterasu's nimble fingers and sharp eye passed over every scar that Susano had dug out of the land, and she knit the wounded earth back together. She sent her sunbeams to the flooded villages and dried them out. The mortals shouted their praise and filled Amaterasu with joy. The mortals needed her, they respected her, and that kept her fingers flying. Slowly the tide turned. Susano, at the height of his petulant rage, could never best Amaterasu's weaving. Suddenly, the thunder stopped and the storming ceased. Susano had finally relented. Father would be so proud of me. I outpaced the storms just as he outpaced death. Attendants, do you hear the mortals' praises? What was that? What is that? Susano! Amaterasu stood up, tearing herself away from the mortals' prayers. There was a horrible crack as Susano threw an enormous flayed horse at the weaving hall, breaking the doors off their hinges. Amaterasu's loom lay in splintered ruins under the horse's corpse. Her attendants were crushed under the skinned beast's weight and died. Amaterasu sobbed at the destruction, the disrespect, the violation. She turned to the broken doors. Susanoo stood, beaming, and covered in the horse's blood, its skin in a pile beside him. How could you... My dear sister, I'm just doing what you said. Never come through this door again. It was the horse that entered your room, not I. Susano smiled his vicious smile. Swelling with pleasure at Amaterasu's humiliation, he summoned his strength and rained down even more destruction upon the earth. Amaterasu was shaken to her core. Her own brother had violated her domain. Her loom was in ruins, and her attendants were dead at her feet. Nobody had ever disrespected her like this, and she made up her mind. Nobody ever would again. Amaterasu fled in a jagged beam of celestial light out of heaven. Susano watched her go, triumphant in his victory. From the earth, the dark clouds turned black. Night fell, and the already terrified mortals cried out in despair. 
Amaterasu had taken her light away. Amaterasu crept to the rain-soaked earth, hiding her luminance. She found the deepest, darkest corner of Japan and hid inside a cave, rolling a boulder in front of the entrance. She wove a spell over the boulder to make sure it would stay put. This was a boulder that no kami or spirit in all of existence could budge, except for her. This will be my domain. I'll be the brightest, the purest, the most radiant, and no one shall ever disrupt that again. If I'm the only one who appreciates my light and my work, then I'll be the only one who can see it. Let them all be jealous. And so Amaterasu shone once more, illuminating her cave, basking in her own sunlight. The world outside soon realized the truth. She wasn't going to come back. And for the kami, this spelled danger. While most polytheistic cultures have deities to represent the major factors of life, Shintoism takes this idea a step further. A kami in Shintoism is more like a spirit than a god, and there are kamis for almost everything. There isn't just a vegetable or earth kami. There are carrot kamis, radish kamis, a kami for everything you would find in the produce section. Even more abstract concepts like poverty, luck, and anger are manifested as kamis. These kami all have one thing in common. They depend on the sun to survive. Without Amaterasu, the kami quickly worked themselves into a panic. Kamis roamed the earth without direction, and the natural order of things fell into chaos. Crops wilted, seasons halted, famine spread. Only one kami, Omoikane, had kept his focus. Omoikane was the kami of intelligence, with many eyes to see the visible and invisible, and a mind to solve problems. Now he had been presented with the biggest problem of all. Omoikane knew that the constant storms meant one kami was still doing his job. He traveled to heaven and took in the puzzling aftermath of Amaterasu and Susano's confrontation. The broken door of the weaving hall, the dead attendants, and of course, Susano himself, still pouring down rain, smirking in his victory. Hello, Omoikane. Welcome to my heavenly plane. I see. Amaterasu fled the heavenly plane because of you. Did you kill her? If only I could... Ah, uh, yes! I slew her myself and took my rightful place She remains unslain, and she's not in heaven. I see. She must be on Earth. Goodbye, Susano. Susano was stricken by Omoikane's dismissal. He had thought they would follow him once they saw his power that the kami would cheer as he ruled from the heavens. Instead, Susano wept. His despised sister was all they ever wanted. While Susano's storms pummeled the landscape, Omoikane cast his many eyes around to see through the rain. He traveled across the land, scanning every hiding place, searching in every nook and cranny until... Even through the huge boulder she had sealed in front of the entrance, 
Amaterasu's radiance couldn't be hidden from Omoikane's sight. The faintest glow was blinding to him, and he knew. There, in this cave, Amaterasu had hidden herself. Now he would free her and set everything right. We'll see how Omoikane deals with Amaterasu after this. Now back to the story. Omoikane stood in front of Amaterasu's cave and pounded on the boulder blocking the entrance. Amaterasu, this is Omoikane. We have need of your light. Amaterasu, what are you hoping to accomplish with this? Izanagi elevated you to a high position and the world is counting on you to- Go away! Look at this logically. Worship requires mortals. Mortals require the sun. We need you. The ground underneath Omoikane shook and trembled with Amaterasu's anger, and he could feel the heat of her light even through the boulder. He did not entreat her further. He instead saved his voice because he knew there would be others joining him soon. One by one, the kami found their way to the cave. Ten voices joined in to demand Amaterasu return to the world. Then fifty, more and more kami arrived until 800 spirits found themselves crammed in front of this cave, stating their cases to Amaterasu. The world was falling apart, and without the world, there would be no kami. Finally, Omoikane came to another realization. Their words would not be enough. He called for silence, and eventually the kami fell into line, ready for the wisest among them to present a foolproof plan to save the world. Great kami of wisdom, surely you have something in mind. Well, I am open to suggestions. Omoikane was almost overwhelmed with the crush of kami who tried to solve the problem and quickly set up a system. He deputized Daikoku, the kami of soil and prosperity, to aid them. Daikoku was a favored god of farmers and was used to handling hundreds of requests and demands at once. Daikoku wrote furiously as each kami presented their solutions and came to Omoikane with the best. Next we have Hachiman, kami of war. He said, I will crumble the mountains around the cave with one mighty blow. If we eliminate the mountain, then there is no cave. Hmm. If the mountain crumbles, wouldn't that also crush Amaterasu? Hmm. Indeed. Moving on, Kamikaze, kami of snow and cold weather, has suggested that she harness the power of winter and... Cause the iciest blizzards and freeze her to her very core until the cave is as cruel as the frostiest tundra and she is begging to be freed. I quite like that one. Amaterasu is the sun. Half of her job is to heat the ice and melt the snow. Kamikaze will pass out before the cave even gets a frost on it. Who is next? Let me see. Ah, yes. Mawayano Kami, the god of toilets. No, thank you. Next. No. 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 There's something my farmers do. Every day, before Amaterasu rises, they have the roosters crow, and that summons her to shine down. What if we brought the roosters here to call her out? If they bring her out, then she'll see all of us and turn back around. We need to trick her. Perhaps if we show her someone as beautiful as her, she will fly out of the cave to confront her replacement. I... 
I have it. Someone bring a mirror. Daikoku, call your birds. Omoikane hung the mirror from a nearby tree. He angled the mirror at the cave as the roosters crowed. At last, we found a sun goddess as brilliant as Amaterasu. She's beautiful. Summon her to the morning, Daikoku. The kamis waited with bated breath. The roosters cried until Daikoku spoke up. Now that I think on it, maybe the roosters were crowing because Amaterasu had appeared and not the other way around. The kamis fell upon each other in sadness and anger. This was hopeless. Every one of them had stepped forward and failed to coax Amaterasu out. They wept and gnashed their teeth and roared with the fury of their elements. But in the din, Omoikane made out a noise. (laughs) Who would laugh in the face of their plight? Omoikane followed the laughter to the back of the group of gods and found Uzume. She was essentially the goddess of having a good time. Uzume lounged at the edge of the crowd, sipping wine and watching the chaos unfold. Uzume, we are facing down the end of the world as we know it. Every kami here, including you, is at risk of permanently fading away. I am very intelligent, but I cannot figure out what you think is so funny. (laughs) It's so fascinating to see. You are the god of deduction, and yet you're clueless around vain women. I have no time for this. Omoikane turned away, but this only amused Uzume even further. She finished her wine, shifted her dress to show off as much skin as she could, and made her way through the kamis. When you're the prettiest girl at a party, you know it. Everyone's eyes go right to you. Oh my, your radiance, your beauty. It's intoxicating. Your point being... Uzume had started to capture the crowd's attention, and she reveled in it. She sauntered through the crowd, holding court. She found Yabune, the kami of households, and leaned right down in his ear, whispering, Can you find me a wash tub? It'd mean a lot to me. Thanks. And when you're the prettiest girl at the party, you can do anything. Order everyone to bring you drinks, tell your most boring stories, or go into a sulk and lock yourself away. The prettiest girl knows that everyone else will stand at the door saying, Oh, please come back. It's not a party without you. We know this, Uzume, but how do you propose we get her out? We show her how much fun we can have without her. Uzume hopped on top of the washtub and struck a pose, her clothing barely hanging on to her shapely form, with a snap of her fingers. Uzume turned the gathering of the kami into her own soiree. She swayed and sashayed, she flirted and sang. And slowly but surely, the other kami joined in. Anytime a piece of Uzume's clothing slipped, There were hoots and hollers from the assembled kami. They had forgotten all about their dire circumstances. Amaterasu, the prettiest girl at this particular party, suddenly took notice. She pressed her ear against the boulder blocking the cave. To hear sudden happiness without her involvement 
was completely foreign to her. That's fine. Let them have their fun then. Let them hide their misery. I have everything I need in here. Unless... Did they replace me? How could they? I am the dewdrops of the morning, cool and fragile, gracing all life with my nourishing presence. My beauty surpasses the blooming fields of lavender and the pillowy clouds of the heavens. Who do they have out there? Amaterasu couldn't take it anymore. She flung the boulder aside and stomped out of the cave. Her eyes beheld flocks of crowing roosters, the entire myriad of kami with their backs to her, and on top of a washtub stage, a naked Uzume, dancing her heart out with all eyes on her. But that wasn't the worst of it. In the corner of her eye, Amaterasu caught a glint of a familiar radiance. It was the mirror that Omoikane had hung, but just as he planned, Amaterasu was tricked. She sprung toward the mirror. Who is this? How did you replace me? Now! Do it now! And as Amaterasu approached the mirror, Omoikane sprung his trap. Other kamis ran to the mouth of the cave and threw a shimenoa, a sanctified rope woven from rice straw, in front of the entrance. While Amaterasu was powerful, the shimenoa was woven to counter her power. She would not be able to pass the shimenoa and enter the cave again. A furious Amaterasu barked orders at the kami, but they all ignored her. They were still so swept up in the party. Amaterasu looked around at their joy, their jubilation, and in spite of herself, she joined the festivities, shining brighter than ever, laughing along with Uzume. Sunlight returned to the world, and Uzume had done what no other kami could. Praise Amaterasu! The prettiest girl has rejoined the party. Oh, stop. Well, no, don't stop. Mirth and merrymaking are valuable to the Shinto gods, but it's also worth noting that Amaterasu, who is the principal deity in Shintoism, is portrayed as vain and needy. In fact, a mirror is included in most of the modern shrines to her, but the world was only saved through exploiting her insecurity. The Shinto gods are impulsive and need our love as much as we need theirs. Yet even while Amaterasu's exile was brief, there were still consequences. What will you do about Suzano? He plunged the world into this darkness, killed thousands. Follow me to heaven, all of you. I will show you revenge. We'll witness Amaterasu's vengeance on Susano after this. Now back to the story. Susano stood alone in heaven, conflicted about his victory. He had realized that he needed Amaterasu, and he was jubilant upon her reemergence. Surely, surely she would understand and forgive his transgressions against her. However, Amaterasu was not so easily swayed. When she returned to heaven, it was at the head of an army, all 800 kamis. Susano realized peace wasn't on anyone's mind. 
He summoned his storms, but there were too many commies for him to deal with. They fell on him, furious, and pulled out his beard and his fingernails. They bound him and forced him to follow them. The captive and wounded Susano was brought in front of Amaterasu. Send me down to Yomi. I want to be with Mother. Yomi is too good for you. You have caused untold death and destruction to the mortals. They are your charges. Until you respect and appreciate them, you will live among them as one of them. No storms, no godly powers. No, please, I'm sorry. But Amaterasu had heard too many of his apologies. With a mighty heave, the assembled kami threw Susano to earth. Susano, wounded and chastened, embarrassed to be a god who was forbidden from any divine plane, awoke in the Izumo province. He had crashed onto the coast, the seas lapping at the land, the seas that, for the moment, he could no longer command. He was lost. What do they need from me? Amaterasu? What can I do? Help me! Uh, I'll do anything. I'll apologize to every single mortal I've harmed. In the distant ocean, the sunlight glittered on the water, and it caught Susano's eye. Was the glittering sunbeam a coincidence, or was Amaterasu giving him a sign? He wandered the region for months, then years, learning of mortals and their plight. He farmed and learned about the damage he had done by his stormy temper tantrums. This was so much simpler when I could move dirt with the wind. I've taken days to till this one field. But these mortals wake up and move their tiny piles without complaint. I can at least keep up with them. What? What's the panic? The farmers around Susano threw down their tools and ran, and Susano ran with them. In the distance, a huge figure flew with eight long necks around a huge scaly body, a dragon called Orochi. Susano asked why everyone had fled, why nobody went forth to fight the dragon, but the mortals didn't budge from their hiding spots. Orochi stalked through the village, seeking a child to eat. And Susano found himself afraid. Orochi claimed a victim and flew off. The villagers returned to their farming, ignoring the weeping of the family who had lost their child. Susano was confused, both by the villagers' resignation as well as his own fear. But even in his confusion, life went on. He farmed, he slept, he fled from Orochi when it visited each year. However, after a decade of exile, Amaterasu had given him no sign of forgiveness, and he grew tired of running from Orochi. These mortals were his friends, his charges. He would finally act to protect them. Stop! Stop running! There will be no more sons or daughters taken today. Please fill up eight vats with sake. Bring them to the center of the town. The villagers, who had grown to trust Susano, heeded his words. 
The village did as Susano instructed. Susano perched on a rooftop and saw the great dragon appear, its eight heads snaking through the sky with glowing red eyes. One head caught sight of a sake vat. Then another head saw a vat across town. The heads strained and pulled until all eight of the heads had found their way to the sake vats and drank heavily. When Orochi fell asleep, all eight heads swaying in drunkenness, Susano led a charge of villagers and attacked the drunken dragon. Susano drew his sword and cut the dragon's heads off. Susano had saved the town. Now they just needed to clear out a dead dragon. Susano worked day and night, carving the dragon into small pieces, until his sword came upon the tail, and he realized it couldn't be cut. The blade struck metal. Susano, puzzled, reached into Orochi's tail and found... another sword. But this was no ordinary weapon. It was perfectly sharp and hummed with power and balance. Susano swung it and saw the perfect cuts it made, even in the smallest blade of grass. He dubbed the sword Ameno Murakumo no Tsuruki, or Heavenly Sword of Gathering Clouds. However, the popular name of the sword is Kusanagi no Tsurugi, or Grass Cutting Sword. Suddenly, the sun shone down brightly upon the village, and Susano, blinded, looked into the heavens. Well done, brother. Amaterasu? Susano, in shock, threw himself on his knees with Kusanagi no Tsurugi at Amaterasu's feet. Amaterasu looked at the saved village and her chastened, brave, clever brother. She took up Kusanagi no Tsurugi. I will consider this payment for our debt. Come, the crops need rain. And after the rain, they'll need the sun to grow. And so, Amaterasa accepted Susano back into heaven, and the sun and storms were in balance again. While the other lessons of Amaterasa concern how to calm and understand the gods, this is the most important lesson of the myth, how to understand each other. Both Amaterasu and Susano, the vain and combative siblings, found salvation and growth through acceptance and forgiveness. Amaterasu's vanity gave way to sympathy, and Susano opened his heart to the mortals he had previously tormented. Amaterasu's story endures, as do her descendants. Amaterasu, after giving birth to her children, passed Kusanagi no Tsurugi to them and commanded them to live on earth. The sword is considered proof of divinity and a direct tie to Amaterasu, and it has been passed down from emperor to emperor for hundreds of years. There are historical records of the sword being kept by Shinto priests, although the last primary source that confirms its existence was written in 1371. The sword has gone unseen for centuries, but the Atsuta Shrine is said to be its home. 
The Shinto priests who maintain the shrine keep the sword boxed up and protected. And if you'd like to learn more about the sword, you can check out the episode of Parcast's other podcast, Gone, which dives into these legends and the purported history of the sword Susanoo pulled from the dragon. As recently as 1989, a boxed sword that was claimed to be the Kusanagi no Tsurugi was seen when the current emperor, Akihito, ascended to the throne. While Japan was forced to renounce the emperor's divinity after World War II, the stories go that the sword remains at the Atsuta shrine, unseen by mortals and protected by the priests. The connection with Amaterasu has endured. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and other podcast shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Maggie Admire, Paul Liebeskind, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Alex Switsky. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Rebecca Ahrens Diamond, Jerry Courtney Austin, Alistair Merton, Maneeb Rahman, Jack Shulriff, Jen Wong, Albert Park, and Drew Lawn. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>